it, Penfox is very much a temporizing measure and it's where it sits within that kind of pain ladder is you, you want to go in at the right level. If you've got someone who's got significant trauma and is in significant pain, it buys you a bit of time. Welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast with myself, Owen Walker. In this episode, we're going to examine Penthrox in the expedition environment with Will Duffin. So what I wanted to do is really examine the benefit and utility of methoxyfluorine, more commonly known as Penthrox. So Penthrox is a volatile self-administered inhaled analgesic indicated for short-term pain relief. Penthrox is a portable, lightweight, non-invasive inhaler for self-administration of this methoxyfluorine vapor. So it provides analgesia when inhaled at low concentrations, giving analgesic therapeutic doses, but can also reduce and mitigate even severe pain. And it has a short half-life. So in this episode, we wanted to really examine this drug. And I'm going to speak to Will about its use and limitations within the expedition environment, how and when, when it can be used, and whether it can be used as a sole adjunctive pain relief agent or as part of a larger pain relief strategy. So Dr. Will Duffin is the co-medical director of World Extreme Medicine and is an NHS GP. He's also an expedition and TV film doctor and father of two. So he lectures around the UK for NB Medical Education and is the host of the World Extreme Medicine podcast. So just before we continue with the podcast, we'd just like to uh, preface this with a disclaimer uh, that these are our honest and unbiased opinions and we haven't received any financial incentives to release this podcast. Will, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Owen. It's good to be back. It's good to have you on. Will, I'd just like to start with, if we could, just why is this has this drug received so much attention? What's the utility of this drug? Uh, I mean, this is a drug I've been using in my expedition in TV and film work, and I've just got so much value out of it. I think it's something a lot of our audience would would find useful as well. Um, I, I mean, as you said, it, it is a, a lightweight, portable, handheld form of patient-controlled analgesia in a very small package. It only weighs sixty grams. I've stuck it on my kitchen scales. That's how I know that. And I'm holding it up to the camera now. It is, it's called the green whistle because it's this this chunk of green plastic with a whistle at one end. Uh, the patient uh, sucks on that, and they. Uh, the penthrox, which is this uh, volatile anesthetic, is in this wick in the body of the device. And when they suck air through the device, that that gas vapor, that that methoxyfluorine vaporizes and, and you draw it in. And it's just really, it's quick to set up. It's very versatile. Um, you get onset of pain within about six to 10 inhalations. So rapid onset peak effect within about 15 minutes and one three mil bottle of the drug once you put that in there it gives you about 30 minutes of continuous analgesia one hour if you use it intermittently um, it's designed for a conscious adult trauma patient with a pain score of four four out of ten uh, uh, and above and interestingly the thing about penthox is it's although it's it's making waves in the uk and europe at the moment in the last five years or so uh, it's being rolled out in emergency departments and ambulance services uh around the uk it's been around i mean the australians have been using this since 1974 um it was only just approved for use in europe in 2015 uh, so I don't know why it's taken us so long to to get the memo. Interestingly, in the US, they're, they're not even using it yet at all. They're still in stage three trials. They're worried about fears of kidney injury. 
Um, but it's really superseding the trusted nitrous oxide or gas and air in a lot of acute settings now. And um, so that's why there's been a lot of chat uh, in the media and, and, and medical channels about this. And it's its role, particularly as a, a form of analgesia in the context of wilderness medicine is huge. So, well, just you, you've spoken to the, sort of the versatility of the of the drug and of the delivery chamber, but could you maybe speak to sort of the range of pathologies it could be used to treat and, and maybe also how it fits into maybe a larger pain management strategy on expedition? Yeah, Penthrox is I, in, it's designed for temporary relief of pain of a conscious adult trauma patient. Uh, who's hemodynamically stable so this isn't for your major polytrauma it's really for uh you know it's a localized limb injury it can help you with reducing splinting uh, a fracture packaging the patient and it's not just msk trauma you can use it for say burns scolds lacerations dislocations um and i've I, I've, there's a great case report of it being used to uh support a suprapubic aspiration of a bladder in someone in urinary retention at high altitude where they didn't have any Foley catheters to hand. And it was very effective there. I've actually used it for completely non-trauma related stuff. I've used it to reduce an inguinal hernia in a villager in a re remote island and work to treat. And then most recently I was using it to uh, manage the pain of a shark bite on a, uh, on a patient's hand. Uh, and that was the only time it didn't work. That particular patient just didn't get on with it. And it was just like, what is this stuff? It, it just made him feel drunk and dizzy and hated it. So it's not for everyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it is, it is incredibly um, uh, versatile. And for me, one of the things that I really like other than the weight and the portability and the ease of use is because it's patient controlled, particularly in the expedition environment where you're often by yourself or in small teams and there's lots of other tasks to complete um you know you, you might be trying to get iv access you're trying to uh, organize a medevac and uh, all that stuff it, it frees you up you can just give this to the patient tell them how to use it and you can then go and think about other things and that that's a massive win for me so you've spoken about some of your anecdotal experience with, with Penthrox and how it fits into that sort of larger pain management strategy. And to your point, you know, you can maybe allocate it or attribute it to the, to the patient for this self-administered, um, analgesia whilst ever you're maybe getting IV access for, for, for something else, which is, which is more long acting, but could you, could you speak to, um, some of the, because there is finite supplies on expedition, you know, you've got to be really judicial about when and where you, you use uh, Penthrox. Could, could, could you speak to what else you, you might be able to load a patient with maybe from an oral perspective and or IV perspective to as an adjunctive longer term use? Because like, like we spoke on off, about offline, protracted field care, especially in an expedition environment could be four, five, six, seven hours. Um, and you know, uh, how how short acting is is Penthrox? Well, I mean, you you get between thirty and sixty minutes of use per three mil um, uh, cylinder, um, and there's two package. There's, you can give two in a twenty four hour period, so it doesn't. It, it's not what you'd want for prolonged field care, and that's really important point to mention. Penthrox is not a panacea. It's a good drug. It's a great thing to add in to your arsenal, but you you are going to need other options as well and i think a great starting point for that is the the wms um uh guidelines on this and i'll 
put we'll put a link of that for that in the show notes which are loosely based on the who pain ladder and uh you know it, you don't just reach straight for the penfox every time you think about you know the the kind of pain ladder and start generally with non-drug based things simple stuff like just the power of a com- being a comforting presence and um uh comfort care things like um elevation rice so elevation compression uh ice uh, uh and um splinting and dressing a burn for example and then you know non-opioids like uh, you know, oral route things like uh paracetamol ibuprofen then opioid drugs like uh codeine or um uh oxycodone which these a lot in the us and only then would you maybe use go for the um parenteral opioids things like iv morphine or intranasal um uh, uh morphine um uh, and then other things like ketamine and ketamine is very commonly used in the pre-hospital world as a gp it's way out of my own scope of practice but that is uh you know kind of right up at the top of the tree um i, I think for me penfox is very much a temporizing measure and it's where it sits within that kind of pain ladder is you, you want to go in at the right level if you've got someone who's got significant trauma and is in significant pain it buys you a bit of time it helps you you can I, i've got for this i it's so portable i can just have it in my pocket and if i have to run to the scene um i can just deploy it very quickly you get that running with a patient when you then do your primary survey and, and they're not screaming at you it gets the, gets them comfortable it calms down the tempo of the situation then you can be more strategic about what you then deploy next and particularly then if they've got ongoing pain needs you might want to get iv access uh, or you, m- you might want to get some oral opioids on board um to to anticipate that but the, for me that's where it sits in in that that pain ladder and we'll share the link in the in the um in the uh the show notes so everyone can have a look at that could you speak to the contraindications well uh for 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 penthrox yeah according to the manufacturers there aren't actually that many it's it's it is quite versatile but um any known hypersensitivity or family history to inhaled anesthetics uh is is a big one history of malignant hypothermia any history of liver damage um, after previous inhaled anesthetics. So just a kind of anesthetic history is helpful if <laughs> the moment allows for it. Um, clinically significant renal impairment is the language the uh, manufacturers use. Uh, what, you know, I don't know how what you deem clinically significant. There's no set numbers there. Um, any cardiovascular instability or respiratory depression, there's a you know, theoretical risk it could worsen that. Um, which is why it's only for your conscious um, breathing, um, uh, hemodynamically stable trauma patient. And then uh, cautions include hepatic conditions, elderly patients with risk factors for acute kidney injury or anything else that might predispose them to that. Um, And there is a couple of interactions with other drugs, uh, enzyme-inducing drugs such as rifampicin and carbamazepine, which can increase the toxicity of methoxyfluorane. So there's a few things there, uh, but I, I think it's unlikely many of those would apply to the kind of case mix we see in expedition environments. So I think this is generally a, a drug that will apply to, to most, nearly all the patients that we, we tend to see. So you mentioned there about these hemodynamic changes um, in in patients which take penthrox could you could you maybe speak to either your experience um with these 
hemodynamic changes and or if there's any empirical evidence on on, on this yeah there's some really good uh because of the australians have been using this since 1974 they've uh done lots of they've got lots of safety data and research to support the use of pentrox and there's a great study uh published in the journal of military and veterans health put a link in the show notes and they um it was a retrospective observational study of 590 ambulance patients and they looked at how their vital signs changed before and after administration of Penthrox. And this was in otherwise clinically stable patients. So this wasn't in really sick trauma patients. And it's quite reassuring. They found that the systolic blood pressure fell from 132 as a mean pre-administration to only 130. Pulse rate fell from 85 to 79. So that's a, a drop, but only a small one. Respiratory rate drops from 20.4 to 18.6 so again it did drop but not really by a clinically significant amount and this study supports the conclusion that you know methoxyfluorine is safe in uh hemodynamically stable patients at baseline there's no evidence to show that it's none of the patients in that study uh suffered with any meaningful form of respiratory depression or, or hypotension or tachy or bradycardia um the, it hasn't been tested. What we don't know is what that impact would be if, if you did have someone that was clinically quite compromised, um, you know, had, had kind of high amount of lactate in their system. And uh, but the, you know, that's that's outside the scope of use for the for this drug. And just looking at whether it's possible to overdose on Penthrox, Will, could you could you maybe speak to um, either what, what the indeed what the literature says, but um, what the instructions for you say about overdose? Yeah, it, very much so. Uh, it, after all, it's a volatile anaesthetic gas. Um, you know, the end result would be full anaesthesia. Uh, you know, you're looking at the risk of drug toxicity, respiratory depression, potentially cardiovascular collapse um and that's why it's only licensed at the relatively small doses so three mils in uh, two doses of three mils in a 24-hour period uh, so that's why we are you know, quite restricted in how much we can give um uh, but as long as it's used within the uh the prescribed analgesic doses i think the 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 risks uh of toxicity and those other things is 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 is, is very low so looking at, you know, someone, as you spoke to before about who is in severe pain and really is maybe not getting on well with splintage and oral medication, uh, and you really want to hit them with a strong dose of, of methoxyfluorine, so of pentherox, could you speak to how you would maybe indeed double the dose of, uh, of, the, of the drug to really get them into that sort of analgesic window? Yeah, so you you can't increase the, the the dose of three mils that you can put into the um, the body of the whistle itself, but you can. It, it's where it's designed is quite cunning. When the patient inhales through the mouthpiece, it entrains air uh, that goes past the 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 carbon activated carbon chamber, and if the patient just puts their finger over that hole, it's called the diluter hole that forces all the air through the wick instead. And it's a way of getting a beefier dose. Um, and, and that actually works really well. Uh, so the diluter hole is the key. And just looking at, um, finally, well, why, why should 
all expeditions uh, be carrying a drug such as this? Yeah, I mean, the, one of the biggest problems that many expeditions, particularly in remote, uh, politically unstable places, have found is because of the issue of importing controlled drugs and drugs of dependence, things like strong opioids, even ketamine, and get, getting those in country and cross borders, that's been often very prohibitive. And the, the, the problem with that is then you have these trauma patients that all you've got to manage that that pain is paracetamol ibuprofen. It's it's hugely inadequate. And I think because this isn't a controlled drug in an exhibition environment, as, as in addition to all of the positives I've mentioned already, it's something that can just be used quite ubiquitously um, in an exhibition setting across the world uh, without uh, having to worry about that, that issue. I mean, it's got good safety record. It's been tested in Australia for years. It's lightweight, it's portable, it's relatively inexpensive. Um, uh, and it, yet for me, it's been a really great adjunct uh, to the other pain management strategies uh, that, that you need on, on an expedition. And it fills a real gap that in that strategy that has been left by the absence of strong opioids in certain parts of the world on expeditions. That's fantastic, Will. And to your point, you know, even in in outside of the expedition environment, the, the portability and versatility, and and the, just the, the size of the uh, of the device just lends itself to uh, giving so much more. Um, ability to to be able to deploy it in in wilderness environments or indeed in environments whereby there's protracted uh, pre-hospital times uh, in in developed healthcare systems so again it lends itself both to the expedition environment and the pre-hospital environment which is which is fantastic but well i just want to say thank you for the last half an hour what we'll do is we'll put in the show notes um the the documents that you suggest because i think that's fantastic further reading for people to go and to to research and uh, yeah thanks for your reflections as well because i think your anecdotal reflections um contextualize nicely the information and make it make sure it's relevant to uh, to listeners so thank you thanks Aaron. been a pleasure thanks for listening to the episode please feel free to rate review and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to please also head over to the world extreme medicine website where you can find more engaging content on extreme medicine webinars and indeed the collection of courses from our global network including humanitarian disaster relief expedition space military tactical and performance medicine thanks again